Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy, what works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today, we're going to be discussing sketches from Key and Peel and Inside Amy Schumer. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketches we're going to be discussing, at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Joining me, as always, are Ashley Nimmo and Isaiah Hedden. I'm Seth Alcorn, and today we are happy to have on as a guest, Nicole O'Dell. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Nicole is the artistic director of a Bay Area theater company known as Killing My Lobster. They're a sketch comedy company like Second City and have been around since the late 90s, which, frankly, I think is impressive. Uh, <laughs> the group has worked with over a thousand Bay Area artists to create exciting original work for local audiences and national outlets. Um, so I'd, I'd actually like to know how you got involved. Well, I was in Los Angeles right after I graduated college. Mm -hmm. uh, and while I was there, I went through the Second City Conservatory program, which is largely about finding your way to sketch comedy through improv. And I had had, you know, done some improv in high school and in college for fun. So after I went through that training program, I was performing improv and sketch in LA. And then around year four, it was time for me to break up with LA. So I decided to come back to the Bay Area, which is where I grew up. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was back in 2014. And I was lucky enough to have had a college friend who was writing and acting for Killing My Lobster. And she managed to get me an invitation to the uh, um, auditions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I attended uh, a writing pool workshop. And uh, that was nearly eight years ago now. Yeah. All right. Great. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I have to ask this. I assume that in order to kill your lobster, you just put it in a boiling pot and then slowly raise the temperature. That's the, that's the deal. That's how it works. In order to get to killing my lobster, you have to play a drunken game of celebrity. And then you make everyone who's ever worked for the company have to explain the name for the next 25 years. <laughs> that's how you kill a lobster. I assumed, I assumed. Yep. <laughs> it's the chef's way. <laughs> Where are you guys uh, based? Like, where are you guys located? Are you in the city? Yes. So our headquarters are in the Mission in San Francisco, and mm. we mostly perform there. But we have been doing, uh, just this year, a split of our run in uh, San Francisco and then across the Bay in the East Bay in Oakland, California. Yeah. I think I reached I – I can't remember how I found you guys originally. We've been out to um, San Francisco Sketch Fest once a couple of years ago, which was a lot of fun. And I love that city. My brother used to live in the town. And so we just, I was out there at least twice a year. Great food, just great atmosphere. But I was like surprised that I was like, what is this? This is amazing. This is so cool that there's this theater here that's focusing on sketch comedy. So how does the process work? So we have uh, our pools of talent that we pull from. We have an acting pool and a writing pool. Uh, every year we hold a couple rounds of auditions for the acting pool. For the writing pool, you do have to have gone through the writing program in order to be a candidate because the process is so specific. We begin with a concept for a show. So a lot of sketch comedy shows will tend to be very broad and general. We tend to have sort of concept umbrellas I'll give you an example. The show that's running right now in June of 2022 
is a show that I directed and it's a sex positive sketch comedy show. So as we go into the process, the director chooses the cast that they would like. The head writer chooses the writing team that they would like. And they come up with an artistic vision, essentially what the show is and what it is not. It gives some guidelines around the topic as far as writing towards something. So for example, we wanted the show to be really joyful around sex. So we asked the writers to try to stay away from like, sketches that ended in an ick moment, you know, or like sketches that ended with <laughs> erectile dysfunction or something really sad. It's like, if you're going to have ED in your sketch, maybe come up with a solution. Um, so we wanted it to point toward a message. And then we express that artistic vision in the kickoff. This is where we have the entire team. We have the writers and the actors come together. We usually do some kind of brainstorming exercise and the writers will present their first round of sketches. After that, we have three writers meetings where we go through this whole process where we try to generate something like 80 sketches for the whole process. Yeah, it's, it's quite a bit. Each writer, is, it's a lot. <laughs> Each writer is asked to bring in maybe three to four sketches and a lot do bring in more. The more prolific you are, obviously, the more chances you have of getting more of your sketches into the show. And then for the final read, we cut those sketches down to about half. A few days ahead of the final read, we're like, you know, to each actor, these are the ones we'd like to see a rewrite of. And we go through every sketch in the final read without notes this time. So this is less of a writer's room and more of just a pre presentation of the rewrites. And then that's usually around 40 sketches. And then once again, we cut those sketches in half, go into a show with about 20 sketches, shows about an hour long, and then we go into rehearsals. We have eight rehearsals ahead of tech. That's it. And then we open. Wow. So it's quick and dirty. How long does the show run for? It has varied over the years. The shows usually ran for like two weeks, like a, a two-week run, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays. Uh, now we're doing a four-week run. And there's financial reasons for that. There's a new law in California um, that was meant to try to crack down on uh, Uber and Lyft mm. and actually ended up screwing a bunch of nonprofit theater companies. So <laughs> we had to uh, rearrange some of our budget for that. So essentially the four week run is us trying to recoup some of our losses. Wow. Yeah, it, it was it was just to it was supposed to basically force companies like Uber and Lyft to pay their drivers more. Yeah. But they did not word it well. <laughs> it's like great idea, terrible execution. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of theater companies had to make some pretty hard choices. We chose to uh, lean into it and, and commit to, you know, adhering to AB5 instead of having everybody be a volunteer. More power to you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I mean, um, I'll, you know, I'll be, I'll be totally transparent. I came onto this role in November, so I'm fairly new. Mm -hmm. So that decision was made by my predecessor, a wonderful, amazing artistic director named Allison Page. And she is awesome. Uh, and she made that decision, but I agree with her. So I'll take like 2% of that credit. Thank you. I'm willing to concede 2% of the credit. Are we all in agreement? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay, great. Good. We've done it. Um, I, I was actually curious as you were talking about your process for your show, 
Have you ever done one that was not just sketches under the same umbrella, but linked sketches? Uh, do you mean sort of like a narrative arc? So, uh, perhaps a narrative arc or even something where you had like, um, let's say three three to four parallel narrative arcs. So you had the same characters coming back to do mm. different sketches. The closest one I can think of is a show we did a few years back called, uh, uh, what was the full name of it? I, I, I always just know it by Bard in my right. head. So now that's what it's called. But it was basically a Shakespearean inspired sketch comedy. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they uh, did with that show was each actor was playing sort of a Shakespearean type. So we had, you know, the, the trousers role and we had the, the ingenue and we had the clown and we had each actor sort of live in that archetype. And then I think there was a little bit of a narrative structure around mm -hmm. them as they were supposed to be like actors in a troupe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I actually wasn't a part of that process, so I don't have a ton of insight as far as like how it went. I remember it being a good show, but mm -hmm. um, I found it a very interesting idea. Might have been tough to execute. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially uh, that's the thing. If you have, if you're going to have 80 sketches and then you're eventually going to cut it down to 20, you have to be very specific about which sketches you're going to keep in order to make that work. Yeah. And so much of what I've learned being a writer is having those guidelines can be really helpful because if you have too much freedom, I don't know about you, but I tend to just stare at a blinking cursor. Like I could write about anything. What am I going to write about? So having some areas where it's like this area that we wanted to explore is a little sparse. Let's maybe like write toward that can be really inspirational, but you know, I will have the best quote unquote, the best idea. And then halfway through kind of have to abandon it because it didn't have the legs that I thought. So if you assign people stuff too specifically, mm -mm. I think that can start to be, you start to lose the kind of natural inspiration in favor of specificity, because when people are allowed to sort of be creative about the game, it can get really interesting. Yeah, I definitely agreed. Do you do you have a favorite actually in two different categories, favorite sketch, one that you've written, one that you've acted in? Um, Let me just put you on the spot right now. Yes, yes. Uh, actually, there are two that leap to mind. One, one is kind of a cheat because I both wrote and acted in it. That's fair enough. Uh, That's fair. I did not <laughs> specify. My favorite. Those are the only ones. I, <laughs> I know those are the best. I love writing for me. Um, but well, uh, I, I also know how to write for that guy. I know how he thinks. <laughs> I know exactly what she can do. Yeah. And she cannot do a Russian accent. Uh, so I, I had written a few years ago, they had done a show concept called Triple Feature. And this was where people could pitch a show concept and each miniature show, it was only 20 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And every night would be a different set of three shows. So it was kind of like a miniature comedy festival. So the shows would end up being an hour long, but it was like three mini shows. And uh, the one that I pitched and ended up head writing for, and then ended up acting in because we couldn't fill that third spot, was a true crime sketch comedy show called Forensic Follies of 1978. So this was all sketch comedy around true crime. And my favorite sketch that I wrote for that show was called Good Morning, Dennis Rader. 
And it's about the BTK killer being really excited that his letters are going to be on the morning show, but he accidentally never specified that BTK was supposed to stand for bite and torture kill. So the hosts of the morning show begin to speculate about what BTK could stand for. And I got to play Dennis Rader uh, getting very frustrated and upset that his, you know, his thesis, his ultimate genius idea was getting ruined. That was really cathartic for me because fuck that guy. Oh, yeah, seriously. Very dark, but also it sounds like it probably was a lot of fun. Oh, it was great. It was um, it was very first of all, the cast was entirely women. Oh, nice. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which was important because, you know, women are more often than not the victims of these crimes. And my co-writer was Alison Page. She and I are both big true crime people. And it it was very important to us that we have the show be cathartic and empowering toward victims and punching down at the uh, perpetrators of the crimes. And I was very nervous about approaching it. I was like, this could be great or it could be terrible. So I ended up writing like a page long, like single space set of guidelines. (laughs) Like, here's what we're not going to make fun of. Here's what we are going to make fun of. Like it was very specific. And fortunately, because it was only a 20 minute show, we managed to pull it off. So that was very cool. And we got to take that show to Sketchfest that year. Oh, nice. That's great. Yeah. So Um, that's, that's one of my favorites that I wrote for. Would you say, I mean, because of Sketchfest, I know that brings in guests from all over, but is there like, is there a, a big sketch community in the Bay? You know, there's, there's Killing My Lobster, which is sort of an institution. And then there are a lot of independent sketch groups. I'd say as far as other sort of institutional areas of comedy, there's a lot of very strong improv groups in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I get, uh, annoyed that the Bay Area isn't more well-known for, for improv comedy specifically, but there's lots of really wonderful sketch groups that tend to um, be very self-motivated and they obtain a following. There's a sketch group I know of called Base- Basement Party and mm-hmm. they've been, you know, they took like a COVID hiatus and I think they're just kind of starting to come back, but they've been, you know, performing in the Bay area for years. I think there's, there can be a little bit of a um, temporary feeling with some of the groups that I saw in Los Angeles where people are often going for their ambitions, which is usually to be in movies and television, which, you know, wonderful, but it does, lend itself toward groups breaking up more often than uh, some of the ones I've seen in the Bay area. Uh, I would, I would agree with that. I feel like from, you know, when we were out there for Sketchfest, the, the most of the teams we met were from LA and they hadn't been together that long because it's, it's very much move here, get here, come together, do some really cool shows. And then someone goes back home or, you know, someone moves back to San Francisco, you know, like, it's a very flow, it's a flow and come and go. And so it's they're very abstract in that sense. And so I think when you're trying to have a, a community, you need people who have roots in the community to really kind of build and, 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 and grow that. And so like you guys, you know, your institution, and I would say in DC, you know, the Washington Prop Theater, WIT is our institution, you know, it's been around for a long time. It's, 
catered yeah. to a lot of people. It puts on shows. And so like you kind of need that household community there to kind of help build trees off and branches off of. And so you guys yeah. are that for, for the Bay Area. I think it's, it's a little bit of a cultural difference from my own experience. If you guys get a bunch of angry emails, you know, let me know and I'll answer them. Uh, but uh, my experience has been that the definitions of success in, at least from um, where I've lived, Los Angeles and the Bay Area, tend to be different. Uh, and so for me, my own personal definition of success was less about booking auditions for big gigs, less about, you know, working with uh, um, trying to get pilots or commercials or what have you, and more about trying to establish myself as a, a name in the Bay Area that someone would say, oh, I've worked with her and I'd like to work with her again. So as an artist, just personally, that's sort of what I have established for myself. And I think that a lot of people I've talked to feel generally the same way. And so when a lot of people want that for themselves, they'll tend to invest in their artistic communities. And they, you know, there are pitfalls to that too. It can be yeah. very hard for new talent to break into some of these communities. Um, so those are some of the things that we've been been cognizant of at Killing My Lobster and just trying to make sure that that doesn't happen, that people don't feel like it's an impossible click to break into. So there are pluses and minuses, but I have found that the sort of culture of making things in the Bay Area serves me better than LA ever did. Why don't we talk about some sketches? Yay. Yay. Uh, Nicole, would you like to introduce the sketch you picked? Yes. Uh, this sketch is from Key and Peele, uh, and it's called Cunnilingus Class. It's one of my very favorite sketches ever. I imagine Key and Peele doesn't really need an introduction, but if you've been living under a rock, uh, it's led by Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele of Second City and Mad TV. Uh, and this sketch has always delighted me so i'm very happy to share and talk about it all right well why don't we listen to a clip what up homies welcome to cunnilingus class i'm shaboos michaels i'm t-ray tombstone and we're here to teach y'all how to go down on bitches right now bitches ain't being satisfied so check it quit on that clitoris so damn hard bitches don't like that nonsense that's like putting the tip of your penis in the vacuum y'all need to chill on the, the clitoris go around that business that's like a button made of a million penis tops now every bitch like her cunnilingus a little bit different vaginas are like snowflakes snowflakes is different learn yo bitches snowflake ask your bitch what she wants then do what she says. let's okay let's talk about word choice in this because i i think the word that is said most frequently in this sketch is probably bitches. Thousand <laughs> percent. Yeah. So many times. <laughs> yeah. But let's go with, I mean, that one specifically, it's like, well, that's generally considered derogatory towards women, but this is also a very, well, it's, it's definitely sex positive and it's also, let's consider the female partner positive. So why do we think they went with bitches? Oh, as far as why, I mean, first of all, it's funny. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. bitches is it bitch is a derogatory term, but it's it's so it punctuates so beautifully. And I think it also feels as though these two characters are 
co-opting the misogynist and redirecting it. So it's sort of, it's like when you infiltrate an incel community. Oh God. And you start using the word females because mm. they start using the word females or Becky's or what have you. But you start using those words to talk positively about women. It feels that way where it's sort of like, let's use this language and skew the perspective of it to serve our own agenda. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I think it also made sense coming from the characters those two were playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, yes, they look, they look like players or players, I suppose I should pronounce it correctly. Um, and that seemed to be, again, appropriate r- word choice coming from two guys who were dressed and coiffured the way those guys were. And, you know, working with their audience as well, if they're talking about how confused it is <laughs> and how many flaps there are and how every <laughs> vagina is different and and they're empathizing with their audience and this feels like another way to do so. so well, and I, I appreciated the fact that they kind of went against the stereotype, I think, that pimps are, are not sex positive, right? That they don't really care. I guess that they're kind of supposed to be pimps, right? Or some, some iteration thereof, something hey, like yeah. that. Yeah. And I think that, that, that they're trying to portray a character that's not sex positive, but yet they are going against that stereotype and being super sex positive. And I thought that that was great that they kind of, um, you know, went against that stereotype. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say this. I don't think they would have been out of place in the uh, Pimp Council and Black Dynamite, but they're also <laughs> not necessarily pimps. Just, yeah, you're right. Col- colorfully dressed gentlemen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> With a particular vernacular. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah I think and, they, the, the, the way they were standing and moving and kind of in sync, it kind of like it worked with the showmanship. of the Absolutely. Piece. Yeah. And I think that's another reason why I, I love this sketch just as a personal thing. I I consider myself to be a very physical performer. And one of my favorite things is when a comedian gets so specific with their physicality. Like you see this a lot with comedians like Jack Black who it it seems like every little thing they do has a reason and has a purpose. And so this sort of little choreographed dance that these two guys are doing, it just, you know, rounds this whole sketch out for me. And it just like, it, it serves every Nicole comedy geek facet that I want it to. It's just so good. Yeah. I mean, it also, I think this is a weird tangent to go down, but it speaks to the preparation of those characters for that class that they're about to teach. Yes. Right. Yes. So everything they're doing, including their word choice is very intentional. It's very thoughtful. They had to practice this. They had to sort sort of make it unique and, and um, customized. And so this is why, you know, even though kind of circling back, even though they use the word bitches over and over again, um, it just, it doesn't bother me at all. I mean, the, the intent behind it can go such a long way. It's sort of, 
it, it sort of reminds me of men who are like, so I'm not allowed to compliment ladies anymore. And it's like, dude, uh, it's about the intent behind the compliment. Yeah. So if you're calling me a bitch or if you're calling me cunt or the C word, if you have to bleep that out, whatever, if you're calling me that and it's something that I know is from a source that feels trusted, or in this case, these two guys are proving themselves to be trustworthy in a certain sense, right? Because we know that they're using it for a positive, specific purpose. If I know where that intent is coming from, it doesn't bother me as much. And that might not be true for other women, but it's true for me. No, I had like the exact same thought. I was like, if anyone else was saying like, bitches, 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 I'd be offended. But I was like, these guys are fine. They get a pass. Like, I get, I get why they're doing it. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. We get why, why they're yes. doing it. And, and why they're doing it is to make life better for an underserved sexual population, which is a lot of women in hetero relationships with men. <laughs> Like not all, but a lot are a little decentralized and this sketch centralizes them. And if they got to use the word bitch over and over again to make that happen, I'm fine with it. Please. Yeah. Use it more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we, we sort of skated around this uh, briefly, but uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about costume in the sense of how costume can create character. Uh, because as we said, these two are very specifically dressed. There's a couple of ways you could uh, go into this. So does it help the audience? Does it help the actor? A little bit of both. What do we think? Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I think one of the one of the main things that makes sketch comedy work is getting the audience on the inside of the joke as quickly as possible. Mm. You know, it's a note we give a lot in the writer's room, get to the game faster, right? You gotta let the audience in on it faster. Otherwise we're just sitting there talking for a page and a half about coffee, who cares? Like, let's get to the funny. And one of the things that we can use to get the audience there even faster is costume and any kind of visual clues that we can give, which, you know, outside of writing those stage directions down on a page is not going to necessarily be designed by the, uh, uh, defined, sorry, by the writing of the sketch. So that's always a really fun area for the director to hang out in, right? It's like, what are further signals we can take or give to the audience so that we can take them by the hand and lead them on this, you know, comedic journey with us or whatever. Also, I think when they come on screen, even before they say any words, you know exactly what they're going to sound like. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you, you understand exactly what kind of slang they're going to use, the mode and the tempo. So you, it's so colorful and so bright and it's such a, uh, you know what they look like in real life. So it's, it's such an adventure. You buy in before they even start. So you hit the ground running. Instead yeah. of being like, all right, who are they? Who are these men? Are they what kind of men are they? Oh, I see. He's they're they're really you know sex positive. Like you don't have to do that. You're like, all right, this is going to be something worth listening to. And it says something about how they feel about their subject matter too. Like they uh, these men are they are down to own a distinctive hat and some awesome vests 
Like these dudes are <laughs> these dudes are not unsure about any of their choices in life, and they are fully confident that it is the right thing, and they're going to you know move forward in that way. So if these guys are talking about sex positivity, you know they've done their research because these guys don't do anything halfway. One can assume, hopefully, hands-on research. <laughs> well, <laughs> mouth on. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, nice. There it is. <laughs> um, so, I uh, apparently uh, the, the comments on this are that it's been very educational, and I wanted to know <laughs> what we all thought about that. <laughs> Like about how accurate it is. Um, I, I assume I, it's accurate. It, it, okay, get ready. It comes <laughs> off like it's real information. Like the yeah, the YouTube comments were like, I learned more about from about you know cunnilingus from this than I did from sex ed or like any you know people did seem to genuinely think it was educational. So yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I I think they there was cunnilingus in sex ed, but it was an elective, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I was 12 at the time. So, yeah. They only gave you one extra uh, education unit for it. Yeah. Um, What's the point, really? I I don't know of anyone who's tried the alphabet trick on me, but I could also just have not been paying attention. I have heard of it (laughs) being a, a technique that people have used. So I think it's fun that they found one that was so theatrical. Sort yeah. of like it was almost like an articulation exercise as well as a cunnilingus technique. That that probably got my biggest one of my biggest laughs out of me was him just <laughs> kind of like locking in and just going through it very rigidly. A B C D. You know, it's just it's just it's just it's great. I think my my biggest laugh really is right after that when they say that when she <laughs> when she grabs your head like she's going to yank it off stick with that letter and i'm like grabbing the head thing is real if she grabs your head do not deviate from whatever you just did consistency it's important it is um i i've actually heard of the alphabet trick uh and i mean this is like this is a while back this is like i forget where i first came across it but i remember being fairly young um and i never or do you just not want to out like your (laughs) brother or one of your friends oh no i'm 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 the big brother in this case and uh you know my younger sibling is my sister so that would have been a strange conversation that i would not have wanted to have but i yeah i i really wish i could remember where i came across it but i remember like i seen it or heard about it enough that by the time I got to the point where it was something I could have tried, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was like some sort of weird urban legend that somebody's like, oh yeah, the alphabet trick. And then, you know, like 40 years later, we're still talking about it and nobody's, you know, maybe somebody got it from the big bag of porn they found out in the woods. I don't know. Yeah. And there are crocodiles in the sewer. Exactly. Exactly. I think it grounds the sketch Oh yeah. Because it's real. It's real right. information. And that's not, they don't take that and go to absurd places with it. Mm-hmm. Like they keep the, the real truth of it stays centered throughout. And I love comedy that does that where it's like, we're going to make fun of this situation. And we're going to be silly, but you're going to learn something when this is over. 
Well, it's only two minutes yeah. long. Yeah. Right now, and it's like, it's so to speak. did I just unlock something I didn't know before? Yes. Yes, you did. Yeah. Well, this is this is why I, I have the feeling. Um, I tried to research it and I couldn't find it, but I had the feeling that Rachel Drysdale had a pretty strong hand in this one because it felt all of it felt really real. It was like, yes, that, yes, that. And I think from both sides of people who give and receive cunnilingus, a lot of those things resonate truthfully. So in order for it to resonate truthfully, you got to have someone in the room that has a clit. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't say for sure, but it feels like a very authentic female perspective. And as you say, I, you know, truth in comedy, there's, there's so, so much value in having the right perspective and the right point of view in the room when the t- a team is writing a sketch on something this specific. That's why diversity in the writer's room is, yeah. is yeah. like yeah. the goal. You need it. Yeah. This is, I, it would be a completely different sketch if there was no woman in that writer's room at all whatsoever. Yeah. It, it I'm would sure be you're very right about sketch. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's um, it, one of the things, uh, Isaiah, that you said that sort of struck me about it was it's one of those things where the premise is absurd. But that's where the absurdity stops. Is that they're like, oh, to to these two guys in particular teaching a class on cunnilingus, that's ridiculous. And then they're like, no, 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 no. This is it. This is this is how it happens. This is what you need to know. This is what you do. We're going to be very careful about getting that information to you. Well, this is one of the things that I'm really curious about this sketch. And the fact that I don't know it does not um, take my enjoyment of it down at all uh, or dilute it. But I want to know how these guys got into that class like not the teachers the students i want to know what happened did they sign up for a learning annex course because their girlfriend was like you need this or was it almost like a driver's ed where after you get a traffic ticket you have to go to a driver's ed class so oh my god (laughs) is there a world in which bad cunnilingus gets you into a cunnilingus class because it really it felt like a government building (laughs) yeah like bad cunnilingus or or no cunnilingus like your your significant other has called you in to report you mm-hmm. and somebody comes by and gives you like a little summons because that guy feels the one guy feels yeah. a little resistant right when it's like how do you like your oral sex he says all the time and then my favorite shut the fuck up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like you know these guys who are in the class have a little wall up And so you have to ask yourself, how did they find themselves in this class? And I thought it was just a really fun parallel to, you know, essentially it'd be like community service, but for oral sex. Right. It is interesting because every guy in that class is black. And then at the end, you know, the reveal, the turn are two black females who are playing these characters under undercover. Mm-hmm. But they say three billion, which is every man. So I was like, am I missing something? Is there a reason why the entire classroom wasn't mixed? Is there is there a, yeah. is there a line I'm not picking up somewhere? I was, or is it because they were doing the 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 pip the pimp talk? They were like, we it's got to be an entire black group, otherwise this does for them to be talking this way wouldn't make sense to anybody else. I don't know, but I noticed that yeah. uh, about the and- classroom. You know, it, it it having like and also insinuating, you know, three billion more to go is that they're at the very beginning of their education yeah. journey. 
So it sort of, is this just kind of where they started? Right. And so they tailored this class for their own community, the men that they want to date. Yeah. And, and then plan on expansion and what that might look like. Like what would a, what would a class full of white nerds need as far as an instructor? Oh, that'd be great. I'd, I'd want to see that. I bet you that would be really good. They have Elon Musk. All right, that idea. <laughs> oh, no, please. Oh. Uh, the problem is I don't think anybody's going to buy Elon Musk thinking about anybody but himself. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to think about Elon Musk. No. Um, no. 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 Uh, Sorry, right, Ashley? No. 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 <laughs> no, I used to think he was kind of cute, but like not, not anymore. Oh, recently it's just gotten it's a, yeah, it's not no. sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Hear that, Elon Musk? Yeah. What you're doing is not sexy. Be better. Take it down. No one wants you down there now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're doing a service here. Yeah. <laughs> you need to shape up. But yeah, yeah, I, 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 I really like that question. It's sort of, sort of the community aspect of who's getting educated and who is educating them, which sort of brings me a little bit to um, the ending itself, which is something that every time I watch that sketch, there's a little part of me that gets just a little sad because I really kind of wish that those two dudes existed and really cared about female pleasure or clitoral pleasure. You know, it would have been really nice if it was just two guys who were as invested and for it to have to be explained by like, oh, they're secretly women. I was just like, oh, I was really excited about two guys just caring that much. Yeah, I'm, I was just thinking as you were saying that, I'm like, I can't remember whether this is the first time I've seen it. And I'm going to say probably not because I did watch like a lot of Keen Peel back when they were, you know, still on, um, well, still doing comedy and not doing award winning horror movies. Um, <laughs> still, I wrapping my brain around that has been one of the biggest examples of cognitive dissonance in my life. Anyway, it actually, I could geek out about why it makes perfect sense to me, but that's not what this podcast is about. Let's have another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Sketch Nerds now. is going two to three hours. We are talking about Jordan Peele. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like, I, but I was, as we were getting towards it, I'm like, well, this is. And I will say this is before I, I read the notes for today's uh, recording. And I'm like, well, that's the obvious joke, right? Like, that's yeah. that's the thing is that it was it was it was two women the whole time. It's sort of the um, opposite setup and punchline than uh, white like me has, you know, where we see Eddie Murphy getting into the makeup and we know mm. that this is what's going on. And instead yeah. of having that set up, we get the reveal we get the reveal at the end. Um, and honestly, I did think the reveal is maybe one of the, one of the weakest parts of the sketch, but we, we have, I mean, a, a classic conversation, if I may use the term here on sketch nerds is how hard is it to write an ending? And the answer that we come up with is pretty. pretty yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I, I know exactly why they did it that way. It's sort of, it, it's not, it's not like not empowering for it to end that way because it's 
women taking control of their sexual destiny and, and, you know, all this stuff. It just, yeah, it, it felt kind of obvious. And I mean, this, it sounds meaner than I mean it, but it feels a little lazy. Like I saw it, I saw it coming. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. Ah, uh, F, you know? So I just, I, I was, I was hoping for it to go another way. And what was that way? Are you asking me to write? Yeah, I mean, rewrite the ending you? right now. <laughs> rewrite the ending. They exit the classroom. Do they just break character and talk normal I, I like gentlemen? I, I like the idea of them exiting the classroom, taking a breath, and entering another classroom right next door that's like teaching a brand new workshop to a different set of fuckboys about something else that they need to be better about and kind of launching into a brand new thing. That could that could have been fun. I like the idea of them basically running their own education center for douchebags. That works. Nah. Yeah, I mean, I it's don't know. It's not great either. <laughs> <laughs> like... Can I tell you in a week? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get some time it's, it's to workshop to this. We'll bounce yeah. it around. Yeah. Um, right, yeah. We'll sketches. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's hard. And, you know, again, it's sort of, it, it's easy to, it's easy to armchair comedy, right? Yeah. Like, well, that's not the way I would have done it. It's like, shut up. <laughs> You're not there. You're not making this thing. So yeah, again, I, I understand why. Yeah. And, and their sketches are not usually this short, which it's true. It ended, yeah. and I was like waiting for it to keep going. And I was like, <laughs> I had to go back to the player and be like, oh, that, that was it? Uh, okay, that was great. But I was yeah. expecting them to like all of a sudden to be like running down the hallway and doing other things. And mm-hmm. um, so it, it being concise was, was, was a different take. And then I don't know, maybe that was a good way to get out of it quickly but without having to add yeah. level to it. It is, it is so high energy that, and part of the reason I enjoy it so much is because it is so short. I'm, you know, some of SNL's like seven minute sketches by the yeah. end, it's like, kill me. Like, we get it. We've been drumming on this same game for three and a half minutes. Let's get out of here. But um, it, it's so high energy that for it to sort of drop and get out of it fast and then let it land would be you know any longer than that that would have been very hard to sustain i think because once you start up here it's hard to keep escalating from there yeah absolutely once you hand out the peaches there's (laughs) once you hand out the peaches oh that would have i i was just sorry i was just thinking about how i would have ended it and i would have really quickly sorry everyone it's my opinion now they would have exited the classroom they would have said basically the same lines, like 30 down. And then I think it probably would have been 3 billion more motherfuckers to go. And then the other guy says, we're going to need a lot more people. We're going to need more people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good ending. Yeah. yeah, no, I really like that. Oh, thank you, everyone. I feel flattered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like so, maybe do a little Jaws reference there. It's like, we're no, then they play the Peaches song from President's Yeah, that, that's how it goes out. Um, speaking great. of going out, <laughs> uh, why don't we go ahead and take a break? And when we come back, we're going to take a look at Inside Amy Schumer. So, see you soon. First times can be awkward for everything, including comedy. 
So why not look back at a comedy writer's first attempt at making an audience laugh? From Philly Sketchfest, have a listen to My First Sketch, the podcast introducing you to sketch comedians from around the world, starting with their first sketch. Hosted by me, Josh Hyam, we'll explore how a writer got started, what shaped their sense of humor, and where they go from here. Check out My First Sketch at myfirstsketch.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. And now we turn, of course, to Ashley to introduce the next sketch. Sure. Our next sketch is Amy Schumer's sketch. Uh, It was aired in 2015, and it is about how you don't need to wear makeup, girl. All right, let's hear a clip. Okay, so a song sketch. Nice. We haven't had one of those in a while. A good uh, song. A I good think. song. Is production it? value. Production, yeah, no, production value. value. Yes, yes. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's high got production the beats. Value. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's on you know, Spotify, I, by the way. It, I'm, I'm <laughs> not surprised by that. Yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah, no, I, I was just, sorry. I can't. I can't help but think of the the meme of the uh, the guy in the fedora saying, you know, ladies, guys don't like a lot of makeup. And then the woman coming back horrified and she's just like got all this rouge and powder all over her face. <laughs> That's yes, um, exactly. Yeah. Am I pretty now, daddy? <laughs> <laughs> Anything to keep the neck beards away, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the problem is different neck beards have different tastes. So it's probably best just to get some pepper spray. Um, <laughs> what is the comedic significance of using a young boy band to make the joke? rather than an older singing group like a barbershop quartet. <laughs> a barbershop quartet. Well, I think right. the significance, so, so this sketch is uh, specifically a parody of the boy band One Direction song, You Don't Know You're Beautiful, which was a 2011 song. Um, so that song was basically like, girl, you're so beautiful, but you don't realize it, but I realize it. So I'm going to make a song about it for you, you know? And um, this song kind of, um, it's not like beat for beat, but it follows the general uh, cadence. And, um, you know, the song, if you hear the songs back to back, they're very similar sounding. Mm-hmm. So this song i think she picked that song specifically because it's talking about someone not realizing how beautiful they are and i think that she chose that because the song is about how i think that a lot of times and i'm not going to say men specifically but people will tell us like oh tell us as women you know you don't need makeup you look great without it and then you're like fine okay i'll show up without makeup to work one day and then everyone's like you look tired are you sick you know? <laughs> and you're like hey maybe i do need makeup <laughs> <laughs> well it, it feels them being young also it feels like a very now trend of songs like mm. this i mean you think of bruno mars like uh just the way you are there's sort of a i think it's, it's supposed to be like a faux accepting like 
you've been expected to put on makeup to look away for so long. And you must not know that you're beautiful until I, sexy young stud, comes along and tells you. So I think part part of it, them being so young, is just because that feels like such a current thing that keeps happening in so many pop songs these days. Yeah, and and Drake too. Drake has a song where he's like, you know, um, hair ties. But I, I know, I know. He, you know, he says something like hair tie, sweatpants, chilling with no makeup on. That's the pretty, that's when you're the prettiest. I hope you don't take it wrong, you know. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it is like a trend in songs now. I, I was going to say, and I have to ask a, a question after I say this. I'm glad that you told me that it was a parody of uh, One Direction because I had no idea. And to further impress our audience with my musical ignorance. Uh, now, the Bruno Mars song, Just the Way You Are, that's not the that's not a cover of the one I'm thinking of from my childhood, which is a little decade I like to call the 80s. No, it's it's the one that's like, uh, uh, when I see your face, it's okay, not yeah, a that's thing di- that you know it. Yeah. yeah, that's completely different. OK, all right. No, I think Bruno Mars should cover that song. <laughs> 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 or funkify it in some way. <laughs> That's great. I think you could probably pick every male pop star that's out today and find a song in their catalog that 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 fits this topic. I think it's something people write about with good intentions and it comes across not the way they think it should. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's also just like look one of the things that male privilege protects us from is an awareness of what we're doing, more specifically the impact it's having on the person, um, in this case, on the person that we're giving a compliment to, right? Like we we're like, but I just meant it like, and they'll say, no, 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 that's not important. The, the, uh, the import is the way in which it's taken. Um, so, you know, um, I, to get more back on track, I think it's like a boy band makes like, well, I think it would be funny to see a barbershop quartet do it. Uh, I think you'd have to set it back in the 1910s. Um, I am not opposed to seeing somebody redo this sketch with a barbershop quartet set in the 1910s. I think there is definitely comedic potential there, but I also think it's still funny to make fun of boy bands. And boy bands have been, you know, any, I mean, to me, this is, even if I didn't know who One Direction was, I see this and I'm like, oh, this is Backstreet Boys. This is insane. This yeah. is 98 Degrees. This is whatever that random. O-Town. I thought it was O-Town. <laughs> I was going to say O-Town. I was like, who is that I, band that like MTV made up? Yeah, did I ever tell you I actually know a guy in O-Town? Shut up. Yeah, I, I, went, I went to school with Trevor. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was in was the he, Was he cool or was he dick? Um. I never had that much interaction with him. I oh, was told man. by other people that he was kind of a dick, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I want some Scott's fired house. Trevor from O-Town. Yeah. Hopefully he doesn't. No angry letters, this. people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trevor, this is all, it's opposite day. We love you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The boy band trope is, it, it's, it's so old. I mean, you know, I, I guess, Boy bands as we know them now don't exist. Was was there was there really anything like that before the nineties? 
I mean, not I'm not barbershop like, quartets. Together by a company. Yeah. I want to say New Kids might have actually been late 80s, like okay. at yeah, like 89. I think, yeah, I think like, they were the very late 80s. Um, okay. But uh, uh, yes, actually, there is an example. The Monkees. Oh. Everybody remember the Monkees? They were a yeah, parody of the Beatles. Yeah, they're, they're not a real group. They didn't really sing their songs too, right? Well, they didn't really sing their songs, but they sure did sell records. Yeah. Like, you know, Daydream Believer and Cheer Up Sleepy Jean got airplay. And like so I'm... they they were using these four the images of these four guys yeah. and their wacky adventures on their TV show to sell records. They're so definitely capitalizing on on the parallel for sure. I do yeah. I, I need we don't have to argue about this. I want to Google it now because I feel like they actually were musicians who wrote their own music, but I could be very wrong about that. They actually, I mean, they started touring themselves, playing their own instruments and singing their own songs. At least like nobody ever caught them in a Milli Vanilli. Um, There's another (laughs) very old music (laughs) reference. Uh, But like they started doing that in the nineties, like, and they were, touring up until last year i think mickey dolan's and mike nesmith were still touring until mike nesmith died wow so yeah i mean i'm I'm sure it was at like you know county fairs and the like but they were they were still doing it so let's move on to another question so amy gives in at the turn why what was that you said amy sent what she gives in she she removes her makeup. She oh, removes yeah, her makeup. I yep. think because they're they're flattering her so much. They're like, you know, they see her walk in, and anyone who any any um person who wears makeup regularly can tell she's got makeup on. Okay, like they can tell she's got a little bit of blush, some mascara, some concealer, or whatever. But she walks in, and the the, the this boy band sees her, and they're like, "You're girl, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful," or whatever. You know, you don't need all that makeup. Take it off. You're beautiful the way you are. And she gets this boost of confidence and she says, yeah, you're right. I am beautiful. I'm going to take it off. And then when they see her without makeup, they're like, no girl, put it back on. (laughs) You, you know, you don't, you don't look good without makeup. And I think that that's kind of, um, there's this logical fallacy called the toupee fallacy, which is where people will say, oh, I can always spot a toupee where, it's actually like, no, you can't. You can spot all of the bad toupees. If somebody really has a good toupee, you're going to have no idea they're wearing a toupee. It's going to blend in seamlessly. And I think that makeup is the same where people will say, oh, I can always tell if somebody's wearing makeup, you know? And the fact of the matter is if somebody's really good at applying makeup, no, you really can't generally tell if they're wearing natural makeup. You probably would have no clue until they take it off. And then mm-hmm. you can see that there's a big difference between natural makeup and bare face. And I think that if you're not someone who wears makeup on a regular basis, which could be, yeah. And again, I don't want to misgen- I don't want to gender someone because some men do wear makeup on a regular basis and some women never wear makeup. But if you're not someone who wears makeup, you're going to see someone like Amy in the first shot and be like, oh yeah, you don't need makeup. You're not wearing, you know, you're barely wearing any. But then when she takes off the little bit of makeup that she has, you can see that there's a big difference in how she looks. I was actually kind of asking myself that question, which is sort of like, 
in some ways on the surface of it, it feels like the joke is punching down at Amy, right? Because, yeah. because they're like, take it off. And she takes it off and they're like, you're horrifying. And she puts it back on. And the whole time she's like a little bit uncomfortable and it's like really kind of sad. Yeah. And I think, but when I thought about it more, I think it was sort of pointing out the absolute absurdity that there's an expectation that women should follow every piece of visual advice that a man gives them. Like every time a guy's like, I just told her to smile because I'm doing her a favor. She really would look prettier. (laughs) And so we're following this woman's journey of, you know, and they're like, add more, add more. And then of course, at the end, she looks absolutely ridiculous because she's got so much on. And it's, it's sort of, it's, it's following the logic of men to its natural conclusion, which is there's, you know, a thought, a thought out there that women's looks exist to please men. And so men's opinions should influence the way women present themselves. And if women just do that all the time, this is how absurd that life would actually be. So I think that's sort of where I arrived with the end of that sketch. Cause at first it made me sad. And then I was like, oh, okay. She's, she's pointing out, she's showing men, like if we all always followed all of your fucking unsolicited advice, this is where we would be. That turn is hard. Yeah. They, they're like, they're here positive, but when they start to talk down to her, they go like full. Yeah. The ghosts from the ring do this so you look female and it, yeah. it wasn't like they graduate it just immediately goes to a 10 but it it's um, also sorry Jose, i didn't mean to cut you no, off no, 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 no. That's, that's, but it's it's that it's that absurdity of male privilege thing i was talking about it's it's look amy schumer without makeup looks like amy schumer without makeup that's it i will go so far the only comment i will make is I thought her eyebrows looked a little funny, but I realized that her eyebrows look like that because of grooming expectations. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's like that, that what, as, as you said, Nicole, what women have to do is cater to the male gaze. And if you're not catering to the male gaze, my God, what are you doing with yourself? It's, I, I, I also thought it was an interesting little dig. Possibly I'm projecting that this was there. But it's a it's a dig at dudes who have never had a long term committed relationship. Right. Oh, I've never seen a woman without makeup. I don't know. Really? Okay. All right. That's interesting. (laughs) Tell me more about yourself in cell. If I can steal something else from you, Nicole. (laughs) I was actually a little worried about that. You didn't have to uh, like infiltrate a group of incels, did you? (laughs) <laughs> no, I've, okay. I've heard interviews with women who have and oh. massive, I'm not worthy hero. Oh, yeah, um, seriously. That just, but I, I have gone on some really nasty, like Google rabbit hole dives mm. because it, it makes no earthly sense to me in, in many, many ways. No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, that's, male uh, mas- toxic masculinity it's absolute most toxic anyway but that's not what we're talking about today on sketch nerds but like you know that that's an interesting compartmentalization because i think there are some men out there who get used to seeing their partners with and without makeup and then they see a woman that they see at work every day suddenly without makeup 
And it's like, it's kind of like when, it's kind of like when you have, um, when you're living with someone who has kind of weight fluctuations and you see them every day. So you're just like, you don't notice. And then if you see someone you haven't seen in a while, you might notice the difference more starkly. And I think there are definitely people out there who are just, you know, they have, they've taken this experience of this person that they have in their life. They've compartmentalized it this way. And then the expectation still exists for other people that they experience. Like I, you know, it, it's the same kind of question that you have when it's like, how can you act and behave like this? Don't you have a wife that you care about? And it's like, well, but my wife is my wife. Right. Right. And that actually, um, this again, we're slightly related, but a new question. How important is it that Amy sees, seems surprised by the reaction from the boy band? Like how would it have been different if she played it as though she was, uh, she were aware of the natural look ignorance? Um, yeah, I think that it's uh, important that she seems that she had some kind of, uh, you know, surprise reaction to them. But I think that, I mean, I, I would not have been surprised, I guess. But yeah, I think I, I don't, what other reactions do you think that she could have, what what other reactions do you guys think she could have had? Like like if she had if she had sort of thrown her hands up and been like I knew it kind of thing. Well, okay, right. Yeah, I like the way you said how in the sketch she's just doing everything they say, and at no point does she just disagree with them. Yeah, and they continue singing, and then she just argues without with them throughout the whole song. She just keeps trying to follow. Let me get a selfie. They take the phone from her. And take their own, you know do their own thing. Like they're almost in their own little world and she's just following them around. Yeah. It's like the, let, uh, let, let me please you thing. And yeah. what does it get her? You know? So I, I like that, 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 that through line. Like, yeah, would it- I, I think it would have been an interesting take if she had done it almost like she was testing them. Been like, do you actually like me without makeup on? And then sort of have them fulfill her worst expectations. It would have been, it would have been a different approach that I think then would have had to result with her getting some kind of win at the end. Yeah. Because she doesn't really have one in this. Like if she'd taken, if she'd taken a verse and chorus after that, oh, if like yeah. she takes, she takes the makeup off and then they go, girl, put on your makeup and then she takes it and turns it around on him somehow. Yeah. Like dude, dude, put on your gym membership. Yeah. Or do oh. gr- grow five inches or something. I don't uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> if, if uh, you know, height is something that. Well, you know. I, I mean, I mean, the lady neck beards of the world are very hung up on height. So sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what the equivalent would be, but yeah. If she turned around and was like, hey, you guys, <laughs> you guys aren't perfect either. Yeah. I'm not super familiar with her show. And this sketch comes from season three, episode two. So she, you know, there's a system in place. Does a lot of her sketches end on a sour note like that or end in that kind of where it's not like, you know, people kind of get away with things at the end? Like, is that kind of her? I mean, I've seen her stand up. So I know that she often talks about dating life and, and you know, her stuff doesn't vary far, 
veer far from her own life in a sense. There's a lot of her comedy tend to, for that show in particular, go that route. I don't, I'm not sure. I've seen a, a, I haven't seen, I've seen a couple other sketches from the show. I don't remember if that was a pattern necessarily. I, I, I do know that she has a little bit of like, she's got like an acerbic, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She's got like an acid um, thing where I think, I think she's, because she is, and I think this is kind of important. A lot of times when we're making things in Killing My Lobster, we are, we make it very clear that the audience doesn't know who wrote what. That if you're saying something in a sketch, there needs to be a way for the audience to know that we're punching up instead of down. And the reason we're punching up instead of down can't just be the writer's identity, right? Because it's not like we, we say the name of every writer after every sketch. So the audience being on our side, knowing it's okay to laugh, there's like things we can do to tweak and get it to that place and still kind of say what we want it to say. With shows like Inside Amy Schumer, we know that it is her show, right? She is the arbiter of this humor. She is the creator and she approves everything. So if this was a show where the guy, one of the guys in the boy band was the arbiter of the show, then that would suck a lot because I'm like, some dude wrote a sketch that just shits all over a woman all the time. Like that sucks. But I think the reason it works and for Amy to be able to land in a downbeat, so familiar, Amy, like we're best friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, why Amy Call her Shane, Mrs. Schumer. <laughs> Ms. Schumer. Yeah. Why, why she uh, feels like it's okay for her to land in a downbeat is because everyone knows that it's her show. So if she's the one being shat upon, then that's okay. Right? Because she's, she's the one who holds the power in this situation. It's her perspective, her point of view, her message. Yeah. Yeah. If it was, if this was a random sketch written by a random troupe and I didn't know who wrote the sketch, I would have a lot more icks than I did watching it, knowing that this is Amy Schumer's show. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well yeah. we, as you've been saying, we have to interpret it in light of that fact. And we've been interpreting everything with, I, I think, the most feminist viewpoints we can find because we're assuming that that's where she's coming from based on what we know about her and what we know about her other humor. But you, like you were saying, you don't have that with somebody you don't know. So, yeah. So actually, then, assuming that this is not a sketch that she wrote, obviously she, you know, approved it. Assuming this is not a sketch that she wrote, do we think this was written by somebody who identifies as female or identifies as male? And my next question is, again, because of the context context of it being Amy Schumer's show, how important is that? I, I mean, I think that whoever wrote this was the the head writer would have been female to me. Same. Uh, even yeah. though in the end, it kind of seems like it's like shitting on women. It's not like it's something that is so familiar to any woman who wears makeup that we've heard this hundreds of times that you know oh take your makeup off take your makeup off oh don't take your makeup off you know never mind 
And it's something that's so familiar to all of us. I can't imagine um, someone who identifies as male writing this. I might be wrong, but. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm tempted to agree. I think it would have taken an exceptionally perceptive and not only self-aware, but also just empathetic uh, dude to have written this. And um, <laughs> there's nobody like that in comedy. I mean, come on, right? <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it is important if, if, if a writer is, you know, writing comedy from a different perspective than their own, that, you know, going back to the diversity in the writing room, right. It's, it's really important to be co-writing or checking in consistently and just not knowing that you as the writer are not only portraying something accurately, but ensuring that, you know, whatever blind spots you might have doesn't end up doing anybody any harm. So yeah, I would be, I would be very, very surprised if a cis het guy had written that sketch by himself. That would amaze me. <laughs> I don't want to know who he's married to. <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm like. It was his wife's idea, and then he wrote it, and then brought it in. And was like, I wrote this thing. It was like, no, <laughs> that didn't actually come from you. Yeah, come on. What are you, Woodrow Wilson? Who's the guy who's like? Was, no, that was, was one his his wife. Yeah, wife that was wrote everything. Yeah, because yeah. um, he had it. He had a stroke and she was covered. Yeah. Throat. She was running everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I'd also a couple presidents. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. I'm not saying anything, Nancy. Anyway, moving on. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'd like to meet that dude's wife too, just to see whether she's over there in the corner, like with a cigarette, just going, that's right. I have, I had to work with this guy. <laughs> 20, 30 hours a week for the last 15 years to get. That's right, honey. Write your little heart out. Write your little heart out. You're very, <laughs> you're very sweet. Very good. Um, I think it is actually about time for final thoughts. So, Nicole, as our guest, can you please come up with a rating system by which we might rate these sketches? Ooh. Oh. Uh... Goodness. Um, given the sort of femme physical nature of both sketches, I'm going to say it's a rating systems based on number of skin flaps. Oh, oh boy. Skin flaps. Skin like flaps. This. Yeah. Skin flap. Yeah. Yeah. I like skin flaps. Ooh, Isaiah, I think we're going to be in trouble with this rating system. <laughs> I mean, I've been do you do it in, in a, pairs or no? In an envelope factory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to get out. Stay um, alone. Get out. <laughs> Gotta lick your way out. Was right. it a stroke, stroke, breathe? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That was, that was really good. Um, and good advice. Um, so let's obviously, let's go ahead and start with uh, Key and Peel. And uh, Nicole, would you, would you, do us the honor of kicking off uh, rating by rating the sketch that you brought in. I mean, you know how I feel about this sketch. I think this is five out of five pairs of skin flaps. All right, Isaiah, what do you think? Uh, it's it's probably probably the best sketch on this topic. I would be surprised if you could find anything 
um, that would come close to being able to, 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 to be this truthful and honest and to be this funny at the same time. Um, the pair, the, the peach joke is great. The stroke, stroke, breathe, the A, B, C, D. Um, I, I, I loved it all. Definitely a lot of high moments and it wasn't like it built to one thing. It was like a tent pole of just a bunch of really great lines, uh, and physical actions. Uh, it's really, really solid. So I would say it is, a, um, just Arby's worthy. <laughs> just, oh boy. I love it. Isaiah. I'm a big Arby's fan. Yeah. Okay. All right, Ashley. In the last um, 30 seconds of the show, you're going to be the dirtiest one here. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it had, you know, like we said, great costumes. The fact that they gave real advice. Um, I love the the kind of like staccato, like that nature of it. Um, and I would give it a 4.5 out of five, uh, I guess, pairs of skin flaps. So nine skin flaps. Okay, yeah. Bad at math. Sure. There you go. <laughs> All right. Oh boy. Okay. So I I, I like I like the sketch. Really like the sketch. Again, thought the ending was a little a little softer than it could have been. Um, oh no, I didn't even mean to say it, but there we go. Okay, fine. Uh, so I am going to give it. Uh, I'm going to give it 20 skin flaps, 10 outer, and 10 inner. <laughs> okay, great, good. Uh, now we have to do the same rating system for the next sketch. Really looking forward to that. Ash, you want to start us off? Sure. I, uh, I you know, I picked it. So obviously it's one of my, my more favorite sketches. So I, I will say... Uh, uh, five pairs out of five pairs so that that is 10 doing the math i can do that math excellent excellent uh isaiah so i've actually never fully watched amy's show like i've said and i it's available everywhere so i'm actually gonna this inspired me to like let me just go ahead and just buy it um buy a subscription to something and just binge the whole series it's four seasons i don't like her movies but i do enjoy her stand-up so i'm hoping that this is a good like middle ground um, and I could just, you know, watch everything there. And I think she nailed the boy band look and feel and vibe. And it's a happy song. Um, they're doing the dance. And then it's like, there's this message in the middle that's just, that's just solid. That's just so good and so on point. And I really love our conversation about it. And our questions today were written by E.K., Shoa, and Emily. Thank you for sending yes. your input on. That's really good deep Thank dive you. and brought up some really good conversation. And I did say that I would call out give you guys a shout out for that so i appreciate that so i too would like to give it a five out of five pairs uh, of skin flaps i'm also just going to do that instead of saying anything else because i think i went far <laughs> enough with my last one i think we're good we'll just say five out of five pairs that's good uh nicole how would you like to rate this i think i think this sketch works for me because of a very specific context and it was a little bit of a thinker and it's not like I don't like thinking, but I do have the sense that there could be for someone who uh, maybe might take it a different way. I also thought it was like a little bit long. I don't know. So I'm going to say 
Yeah, 4.5 pairs, so nine skin flaps. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Sketch Nerds. And a special thanks to our guest, Nicole, for being a guest on today's show. Where can our listeners find you online? If you're interested in Killing My Lobster sketch comedy, you can find us at killingmylobster.com. And as far as my other comedy endeavors, I am part of an opera improv group called La Spazzatura, which is Italian for trash. You can find us on Facebook, uh, La Spazzatura, L-A-S-P-A-Z-Z-A-T-U-R-A. I think I got that right. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, sketch comedy or op- uh, improv that's sung operatically, you can find us in those places. Excellent. Fellow sketch nerds, please like, share, and subscribe. If you know of a great sketch we haven't discussed yet, please send it to us. We love getting suggestions. You can find out more about sketch nerds and bad medicine at badmedicinecomedy.com sketchnerds, where you can also find links to the sketches that we discussed today. You can find this podcast and previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For Nicole, Ashley, and Isaiah, I'm Seth. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden and recorded in Washington, D.C. The closing music tracks were provided by SoundtrackForEverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine. DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com. 